welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. Uh, excited to welcome a special guest here with me today, Kevin Bowers, Director of Field Services Research at TSIA. Kevin, welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. Well, thank you, Sarah. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Awesome. So um, some of you probably know Kevin quite well uh, from uh, the research that he does and leads at TSIA. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in case there are any folks that are not already um, plugged into that. Um, but Kevin recently uh, wrote a column about um, as a service. And uh, I came across that on LinkedIn. And I thought, you know, I really love the idea of, um, you know, industry uh, folks collaborating together to, um, you know, improve understanding, elevate awareness, et cetera. So I asked Kevin if he would want to come on and talk about uh, some of the myths and truths, uh, misperceptions and realities that um, both of us are seeing related to the as a service uh, conversation. Um, so that's what we're going to do here today. Uh so, Kevin, before we get into the nitty-gritty, um, tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Okay. Well, we'll start with the important stuff. I'm a husband, father of six. Uh, fun fact, I'm fluent in Japanese. I spent uh, many years in my teen years living there, and uh, I like cooking on my big green egg in my free time all year round. Nice. But uh, then uh, professional side of that coin, as you said, I'm the director of field service research at TSIA or uh, the Technologies and in Services Industry Association. We're a for-profit research institute where, you know, we do a lot of deep operational benchmarking to help, you know, industrial equipment, healthcare, enterprise IT companies uh, increase their revenue and optimize their profits by using fact-based business frameworks and best practices. And prior to TSIA, I spent 20 years in, in the industrial equipment arena, uh, specifically machine tools uh, here in Chicago, where I was in operational roles. And then the last 10 years running service parts, training and contact centers. So that's how I, I started my career in spare parts and then ended it in service and spare parts. So now I'm talking to people to do that every day. So it's great. Awesome. All right, cool. Uh, so um as I mentioned, uh, this conversation is is stemming from an article that Kevin recently wrote related to this topic. So definitely take some time to check him out, uh, check out uh, his and other analysts' uh, research at TSIA, um, because it is uh, another excellent source of um, information and, and industry insights. Uh, so what I want to start with is, you know, in the article, you kind of start with talking about some of the reasons that, and, and you know, we're, we're saying equipment as a service, right? And I think some of this is specific to equipment um, and particularly the equipment that the types of companies TSIA serves. Um, but I think there are aspects of this conversation that are going to be applicable regardless of um, whether it's actual equipment or what sort of as a service offering we're talking about. Um, but at the beginning, you talk about some of the reasons that equipment as a service can be ignored or underplayed uh, by those organizations that could and potentially should be taking a closer look. So um, can you talk a little bit about what some of those reasons are? Yes. So, you know, I think it comes down to it. I mean, you're right. You know, my research 
you know, focuses on people with equipment on premise. However, a lot of the themes of as a service, X is whatever the buzzword you want to use is, is applicable across many different industries, right? I mean, software and things of that nature. So, um, but I think it's a trend that is specifically for, you know, on-premise people, it's coming, it's been in enterprise IT, you know, Salesforce, all that kind of stuff. And it's slowly making its way across the spectrum to other industries. But, you know, when we talk to our members, um, they'll say one of two things like, you can't put my stuff, you know, in the cloud, it's physical. Or, like, yeah, we already do that. No problem. What do you want to, why do you want to talk about this? But, um, you know, my job is to try to help translate, you know, what enterprise IT and all those folks went through for people that are just starting to catch this wave. And, you know, it's like you said, it's over LinkedIn. You Every time you look, it's as a service, something robotics, mm-hmm. software, mm-hmm. equipment, whatever, infrastructure. So, it's there. It's coming. I think people still may think it's a buzzword, but it's not. Um, I mm-hmm. think that it's something that we we need to talk about, and that's why I wrote this blog. You know, my boss Val also did an interview earlier in the year talking about it. So I think it's coming, and it's better to plant a tree now for when it mm-hmm. you know we need it in you know five ten years. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I wanna I wanna go back to to the two main points that you made in that article, which are the belief or, or misperception that when you talk about something as a service, you're automatically talking about a cloud offering, right? And that is not always the case. So that's one thing that it can be a part of the, you know, overall uh, value proposition, but it, they're, they are in no way synonymous um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a part of it. The other that I think is really important that you mentioned is that people just assume that as a service just means leasing equipment, period. Like, okay, well, people just don't want to pay CapEx, so we'll let them lease it and they can pay OpEx, right? And that that is, it's really just a conversation about a different um, way to finance an asset, which is also not the, uh, the reality when we're talking about you know, the importance of this topic to uh, the companies that have, you know, something they could provide as a service, the opportunity it presents, it's that opportunity is not well represented by just moving to a leasing model, right? So um, those are two really important things to sort of get out of the way of, you know, if either of those two things are things that have precluded you from looking deeper into this opportunity, you need to set those aside and, and take a closer look. Um, okay. So is there anything else we should clarify about what as a service is not? Well, I mean, you, you did it pretty good justice. And in my blog, I had the quote where my boss's boss often says when he does advisory, he goes, do you know what the S and S X as a service stands for? Or it doesn't stand for subscription. It doesn't stand for solution. It's for the service. Right. And it's, um, about adding value to that piece of equipment. You know, it's not like he's a CapEx OpEx. It's about adding the value and helping the ch- customers achieve something that they're after. Um, and, and it can be done. It doesn't have to be in a the cloud. There could be parts of your offer that is in the cloud, right? Mm-hmm. You know, software is a prime example of that, but you can have a large, you know, 100 ton press that could be as a service if you set it up correctly and understand the value that you need to bring to the customer. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, um, you know, a really important um, 
point, right? Because again, what we're really talking about here is the journey to delivering outcomes instead of delivering products or services, right? So even, you know, I would go so far as to even say it's it's even more than just service being the S, right? Because, you know, um, I was at a, a conference in September and um, Mike from from NCR uh, was presenting and and I love like his one of his first points when he got up was, you know, our customers don't care about our products and they don't care about our service. They just care about the outcome. And it's a very simple statement, but it has a lot of meaning for companies in this space that, you know, are ignoring that reality or are, you know, what I also, another reason I I also wanted to have this conversation with you on this podcast is because I think there are a lot of companies who think they get it or think they're embracing it, but there's a lot here that can be misconstrued or confused, or, you know, there's some, maybe, um, you know, uh, beliefs or, or, um, default actions that kind of, you know, you want to embrace it, but then you caution yourself. And so then you're, you're kind of hedging your bets in a way that just waters down the, the opportunity itself. And so, you know, what we're really talking about is this idea of providing outcomes, right? And so it isn't about, offering a product on a subscription. It isn't even about servicing a product. It's about what are the customer needs, challenges, uh, insights that you are uniquely positioned to apply or, or, or provide. Um, and how do you create a value proposition that is representative of all of those things in a way that delivers an outcome, right? the simpler, the better, uh, you know, all of those things. Um, and so if we look at, at the conversation as, um, anything as a service is a route to delivering outcomes, let's talk a little bit more about why this is so powerful for companies to kind of have that light bulb moment and begin to embrace. All right. So, you know, as Mike said, and, you know, at, at TSI, we've been saying it for seven, eight years now, and then uh, uh, customers don't care about your product, right? And and you you posted about your experience in, at uh, your event in Netherlands just recently uh, talking about, you know, it's not about the product or service, it's about the story, mm-hmm. right? And more and more, that story is about outcomes, right? And to be clear, it's about the customer's outcome. Not your mm-hmm, outcomes, right. you know, you're not driving towards more revenue for you or whatever. You're trying to help the customer gain more revenue, right? So I think that idea still ruffles feathers. Everyone thinks that they've built a feather mousetrap and to say, you know, that their product's not important is sacrilege. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you have a technological advance, someone's going to catch up in 12, mm-hmm. 18 months anyway. So it's about the other things you can bring to it. And another great great quote from one of my colleagues is we need to stop calling the product the technology. It's about the complete offer, the product, and the data analytics around it that can get you to these customer outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. So last month, uh, TSI did a conference and, you know, each research practice gives a keynote. And I talked about this topic, but when I was starting to research and think about my story, I was thinking about, well, when did I first hear about as a service, right? And I was digging, digging, digging. And I finally... 
I found a trip report from June of 2009. I took the COO of a large locomotive OEM to Japan to meet our boss. And in my trip notes, it specifically says, I don't care about your product, Kevin. I'm here to learn about how you can make me better. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't register to me then. And it, I mean, it was, you know, back then it was, the example was Rolls Royce or anyone that had a locomotive, it was connected as a service, blah, 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 but no one else was doing it. So it fell by the wayside, but you know, progressive customers were thinking like that in 2009. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not a flash in the pan. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so anyway, you know, as you said, this as a service is a, is a, a lever, a method to deliver outcomes. And I think outcomes scares people. They think it's complex, but it's, not it's there's three flavors right you can increase the customer's revenue you can decrease their costs or the often forgot one is mitigate risk right those are the the three types of levers you can pull right and then you Mm -hmm. have to think about it vertically right you know what happens when oil gas is quite a bit different than you know point of sale in a grocery store but the, the same ideas revolve around there and uh it's important to understand and it's important like you said, you don't want to hedge your bet, but it's not like you have to all of a sudden make every product that you have in your portfolio as a service. I mean, we, we talked about you have to segment. There's some things that it's not just, it's not worth it, right? Mm-hmm. There's no value that you're going to add and help the customer achieve any other outcomes. But you can segment it, you know, start to get the data off the product and it, it's, it'll start to help you, mm-hmm. I think, uh, drive those outcomes. And, you know, ultimately customers want outcomes. Think you know, Everything that happens in B2C comes to B2B. Think about, you know, you want you want your internet to always work because we have to be on this podcast today. We don't want to, to you know, it, this is a great conversation, but I don't think we want to spend another 45 minutes re-recording. So we, the outcome is internet service, right? So that we right. can uh, do business. But, and it's coming to, to in a, you know, B2B. So mm-hmm. we have to be ready. For sure. I think, um, you know, the point I made in that presentation uh, and and in the article I wrote after is companies are very accustomed to telling the story of what their products or services do. And increasingly, customers do not care about that story. The story they want to hear is how it helps them, right? And so it's really, I think, to start, you know, it's a, a process of reframing Um, the way you think about your products, services, and entire value proposition from the mindset of, you know, what those customers need help with, right? And so, you know, we did a podcast a while back with um, uh, Howard Boland from uh, Schneider Electric um, in in Australia, and they've introduced uh, Power as a Service. And... um, he was joined by a gentleman, um, Scott Weller from Moss Rate Group, who has worked closely with them on it. And, you know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about that conversation is this idea that, you know, when you think about the early parts of understanding this uh, this journey, you know, it, you kind of have to start with the go-to-market. Like, what is the hook? What is the offering? What is the outcome? And then kind of reverse engineer that into, okay, so what does that mean in terms of changes within our business we would need to make to deliver that? Because I think, you know, it's it's really a lot around the, 
communication and articulation of the value proposition, the customer buy-in, that companies that have been historically product-oriented, they are not used to communicating in those ways and and building relationships in those ways. And that, in, in a lot of instances, can be a really big initial hurdle to overcome. So to your point, you know, you can do that in an area of the business, not, you know, this isn't, it doesn't have to be a, you know, okay, we're flipping a switch today. We deliver products yeah. tomorrow. We deliver outcomes. Right. Um, so let's maybe talk a, a little bit, Kevin, about, um, you know, the idea that I think we both agree that, that outcomes, uh, is, is the future and, uh, as a service is, um, a very important aspect of uh, how companies can get there. What are some of the challenges? All right. Well, you know, especially for field services, as you said, go to market, all these things are important. So it's not just a heavy lift for field service. It's the organization that has to do it. And, you know, every webinar, conference, presentation, you see people talk about silos. I think everyone grew up on a farm as much as they talk about silos, but it's true. Everyone has to be in line, right? And field service has to have a seat at the table. Um, there's a lot of things that uh, they're going to have to do different, right? You know, at the end of the day, when you really get to this outcome-based, pay-per-use, consumption-type model, um, you know, when field service in the past, they didn't get there on time, it's just a miss SLA, all right, there might be a smack on the hand, some penalty, but now you don't get paid. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a, a mind shift, right? And it's way away from the product. So does the service teams, do they have the infrastructure in place? Do they have the ability to resolve the uh, issue quickly? Um, did a webinar yesterday, actually. And in it, we asked about the different types of SLA offers that field service members had. And still only 40% have something around resolution time. Mm-hmm. But that's all that's going to matter as we move to outcomes. Mm-hmm. If you get there and mess around for two days. No one cares. They want you to get there and solve it. So that's quite a a paradigm shift for most organizations. So you got to put a lot of investment in in there. And then again, we talked a little bit about it, but you need the connectivity, that data that comes off the equipment is going to give you all sorts of insights before you go. So, you know, to be efficient, proactive, and insightful for the customer, you really need this telemetry and that ultimately drive uh, you know, other types of outcomes when you get that data. I think the data that comes off the products way more valuable than the product. And like you said, people, it's hard to get people out of the blinders away from the product, right? We can't be product focused anymore. We've mm-hmm. got to start to move to, you know, efficiency, proactiveness, and then ecosystems that, that help customers achieve their outcomes, I think. Yeah. Um, and then we got to focus, you got to, like we said, focus on the metrics. That's what uh, the, the basics, you know, do you have the right, can you fix it right the first time? If you to fix it right the first time, everything has to be hit on a half cylinders. You got the right training, the right tools, mm-hmm. the right people, software that, that can help route you the right people, right? So I mean, you can't run field service on an Excel sheet anymore and, right. and have pipe, pipe dreams that you're gonna uh, deliver an outcome, right? Yeah. And then there's also, as you said, financial implications of this. You know, moving from capex, capex to opex. You know, everyone, every OEM loved that big paycheck, right? Right. You know, 10, 30 days before the product even was installed, they got this huge chunk of money and then little money trickled in. Well, the idea of outcome or as a service is that that initial 
selling is the lowest amount of money you're ever going to get, right? Mm -hmm. And at TSIA, we call it swallowing the fish, right? Your your costs go up, your revenue goes down for a while, and then you got to do things to, to mitigate that, right? So a lot of that is how fast you resolve things and what data you have to offer different uh, additional outcomes and offers to, to help offset that. So it's uh, a lot of fun, I think. I don't yeah. want everybody to think it's impossible, but I mean, you have to think about it and you have to communicate and it's all aspects of the company, really. Mm -hmm. I think um, I, I think the the point you make about uh, silos is important in the sense of I think it's one of the most fundamental challenges here that you know this is not a field service conversation. This is not a service operations conversation. This is a um, company wide strategic direction conversation. And so it has to happen at that level or it's um, it's just, it's a waste of time, quite frankly, right? right? And so, you know, one thing we see is, you know, you see leaders of service in, you know, a ton of different companies that get it, that are working in organizations that don't yet get it. Um, and trying to drive this change in a way that, you know, causes them a lot of frustration. Um, that's actually another aspect of what we talked about on the podcast with um, Scott Weller of Mossrake, which is he calls it the microcosm approach. But how you can, you know, rather than giving up, right? I mean, ultimately, you have to get the company on board. But when that feels like an insurmountable task, um, you know, he talks through some of the things you can do to kind of create this change in a microcosm to prove it out uh, to help, you know, shift those minds. But let's just say the the top level leadership of the company gets it. And let's say that there's mm -hmm. some, some top level buy in on the direction of this. So that's Im imperative. You're still talking about a fundamental change in the way that you do business, in the way that you manuf manufacture, install, and deliver products, in the way that you handle your company financially, in the way that you deliver service, right? So um, again, to your point, none of this is to dissuade anyone from this journey because I, I am a firm believer that the uh, the writing is on the wall here, right? So you can... Um, ignore that and get further and further behind, or you can embrace it and start working on, on this change. Um, but I think another big challenge that I've noticed, Kevin, is the idea of there's inherent risk in this model. Um, yeah. in, and it's far different than the risk that these companies are accustomed to, right? So um, I also recently interviewed uh, Dave Macronis from CARE, K-A-E-R, and they're, mm -hmm. um, they do cooling as a service in um, Singapore and, and other uh, places. And, um, you know, they were pretty early adopters of as a service. Uh, I believe they, they started offering it in 2012. And I think in 2018, maybe 15, um, can't remember, you know, they went all in on it and stopped offering anything else. Um, but what he talks about is the fact that, you know, Netflix is 10 bucks a month, right? And so uh, you can sign up today, you can watch it for a month, and then you can cancel at the end of the month if you're not enjoying the outcome, right? Mm -hmm. If Netflix was $10 a month and you had to sign a 10-year contract and pay six years up front, 
you know, it's <laughs> the model is not successful, right? And so companies that, again, this is what I was talking about, that try and embrace this, but then want to hedge bets, yeah. you're, you're really, you're really shooting yourself in the foot because it's, that's just not how it works. Right. So there's this idea. I think one of the other challenges is to understand enough about the op opportunity and what that opportunity means to your business, to have the confidence you need to accept the risk involved. Because in most instances, when we're talking about the move to outcomes, customers want guarantees. You know, they yes. want uptime guarantees. They want deliverable guarantees, you know, so you are putting yourself in a position where, you know, you have to make good on that. Right. Um, yes. And so I think, you know, these are some of the things that once people dig in and understand that they panic and run. Right. But mm. what we're here saying is don't panic and run because you need to you know, face it and tackle right. it and, you know, uh, commit to the journey. Um, there's a, a customer um, IFS has in, uh, well, uh, it's a global company, Cubic Transportation, but um, mm -hmm. they, they do a lot of work with uh, the London Underground, right? And yes. um, they actually were, you know, an earlier ad adopter of outcomes-based service because um, Transport for London came to them and said, hey, you know, we um, we want to deliver our customers guarantees, which means we need you to deliver guarantees to us, right? Yeah. And so um, they stepped up to that challenge. Uh, and, you know, going back to the point you made about, so where does technology fit into this? You know, um, Mike Gosling from Cubic has said many times over, we would not have been able to scale in manpower to meet those uh, those deliverables and to to uphold those guarantees. We had no choice but to rely on technology to automate and optimize things in a way that makes it possible for us to do that, right? And so that's where you get into, you know, first understanding what the outcome is the customer wants. And then, you know, like I said, kind of digging into then, okay, how do we evolve to make this possible, right? Um, you provided a couple of examples in your uh, article that yeah. were, um, you know, other ways that companies have kind of, you know, started to overcome some of these challenges and, and take steps in this direction. Can you talk through uh, a couple of those? Yes. You know, so, you know, as, as you mentioned, we're both pretty active on LinkedIn and you'll always scroll down you see those landscape maps, who's doing this, right? And, you know, there's always these equipment as a service ones. And, you know, whenever we talk in conferences, generally the same names, right? Rolls-Royce, GE, uh, Heidelberg, you know, care, air conditioning as a service is another great example. But I think everyone thinks there's like four people doing this. There's, mm -hmm. and, you know, I've seen landscape out of 50, 60 companies doing this, which I mean, there's a lot more. But the point is, it's expanding and there's this ecosystem around them expanding. You need the software, you need the technology, you need the sensors, you need the IoT platform. So, so you're right. It's here. So back to your question, some examples, right? So in my blog and also in my conference, I talked about a company called Trump. They're in industrial equipment. They make laser cutting equipment. Um, and, you know, they have a full pay per part, full, you know, OPEX, you know, they roll everything in, but they also have this other model where you buy the 
piece of equipment and it has a six kilowatt laser, right? And you say six kilowatt laser, what does that mean? It means either I can cut up to maybe a three quarters of an inch pretty efficiently or thinner material, I can go faster. Well, what happens if one day you get a job where it's an inch or an inch and a half thick? Well, on the machine, they have built in more laser power. And then if you want to go from six to 10, all you do is hit a button, you've signed this contract. Now you start to pay per hour for this laser. Well, you know, that's a subscription. No, we're helping them meet uh, additional production needs. So, you know, Trump still gets the great, a big chunk of CapEx up front, but then they get this incremental uh, amount of money from every time someone wants to jump up in laser power. And they also make a promise if, if you use it enough, you pay for it, it's yours. So, you know, it, it's kind of a blend of the traditional model, buy an upgrade in the field or, you know, pay per use. So I really like that idea because it, it mitigates some of that risk, right? You still got the OPEX in front, but you still have the opportunity to show some value and add some more things. And it, we always tell our members, make this connectivity option an opt out, right? We, mm -hmm. you, you as the OEM need the data, right? So if the customer opts out, great, Mr. Customer, no problem. That means it's going to cost you more and our service levels are going to go down because we need that data to help you achieve your outcome. And that's a mind shift. And the other uh, other thing that people, um, I think, as you said, they shy away from these conversations of guarantees. Mm -hmm. Well, if you can provide the tangible value and show you what the outcome is going to be and how that's going to help them, you can start to flip the script and say, well, what if I, you need me to fix an issue in four hours? What if I do it in two? What are you going to give me? Mm -hmm. That's a conversation you can start to have. I, granted, it will not be probably well received, but if you balance it with the value you bring, they'll say, oh, well, that makes sense. And, and they still gain because they're back to obtaining their outcome quicker. So mm -hmm. a lot of things have to change when you start to do this, but it's not all on the customer side. There's, I mean, once you get all this data coming in, it's going to help you on things that aren't as a service, start mm -hmm. to build up your data models for predictive and prescriptive type service that for, for people that are still paying CapEx. So it's a, I think getting the data, it's a win. And yeah. you, you, you should go through some of this pain to do it. And I mm -hmm. think this is a great, great way to do it personally. Yeah, we, uh, it, some of what you said made me think of um, another conversation we had on, on a podcast here with uh, the CMO of Park Place Technologies. And that was a really interesting conversation because I think they've done an especially good job of how they market these offerings. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, for some companies that have like a deep, rich legacy as a product manufacturer or equipment provider, that type of, of marketing and communications is, is very unfamiliar. And, and she gave some really good advice, but, you know, they have like a tagline and it's, um, like uh, it's related to their first time fix guarantee, you know, and mm -hmm. she talked about what went into identifying the opportunity of offering that and then digging back through, okay, what do we need to do? We can't say it and then not do it. Right. So right. what do we need to do as a business to be able to make that claim and then uphold it? So um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff to this. So I wanted to ask too, Kevin, um, you know, when we talk about the role field service plays in this picture, um, how do you see that role evolving as we move more and more to delivering outcomes instead of, you know, break fix type uh, service? Well, I mean, we talked a little bit about it. it it's a, 
the team play. It's not field service. It's not service offer management. It's not product. Everyone has to play here. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, field service is on the bleeding edge. When that's not, product's not working, producing the outcome, who goes? Field, right? So they're getting beat up. Uh, so they have to have a seat at the table, inform, you know, here's what we're capable of. If you want more, we need more parts and more local locations. We need more training. We need more capacity. We need these types of data hooks in the product. Please develop this so it'll help us. So feedbacks is, is critical, um, you know, and, and, and really field services best friend is the contact center. And traditionally, the contact center's goal was to solve everything remotely because it's a lower cost to serve. Well, that myopically doesn't work because overall, the customer cares when I call and when it ends, the resolution time. So they have to field and contact center have to work closer together. So everyone has to uh, come together and break down these silos. I think that's pretty critical. And then, uh, like you said, the investment in the structure and the technology, because, you know, it's kind of like a pyramid. Automate what you can. You know, you're not going to probably get all the headcount you need. Think about maybe outsourcing some of the simple stuff that maybe it's not legacy equipment that's not as a service. So that starts to free up capital so you can invest in your people that you still have and make them the experts. So when it does hit the fan, boom, we're there. We have the density and we get it done. So it's uh, field's going to take the brunt of this when it doesn't go well. So they're going to have to have the mechanisms to get the feedback. And at the end of the day, they're, they're the best ones to know what outcomes the customers want. A lot of sales is going to be digital now, right? They don't right. travel budgets are gone. They're never coming back. But field service is and how it, it has been going on site. You know, from our benchmark data, they go on an average of 40 visits a month. So mm-hmm. they're the only ones that are going to give the real feedback from the customer. And if we recall, the outcome is the customer's outcome. So right. you need to know what that is. And fields are going to get that for us, I think. Yeah. I agree. And I think I would take it a step further and say that, you know, when you talk about changing the identity of a business from being a product manufacturer and provider to a as a service offering or an outcome, a solution provider. um, And then you think about the fact that, to your point, in many situations, the field service uh, talent is the most uh, frequently engaging with customers or the only one engaging with customers in a face-to-face way. So how are they representing the brand? Um, You know, and it's not just about their ability to um, do the job, right? And, you know, to your point, the tools that you are enabling them with to make sure that that outcome is possible, but it's also about, you know, their ability to build relationships and to, um, you know, represent your organization and its value proposition in a way that is going to, you know, build customer loyalty and, you know, all of those things. So those are kind of new and different aspects of that role in many ways. And so, you know, companies need to be thinking about what that means in terms of their, um, need to upskill or reskill or right. what they're looking like in the talent, what they're looking for in the talent they're now bringing in, you know? So um, it's, you're right. They'll bear the brunt of it when it doesn't go well. There's also a lot of opportunity and, and in many ways, like the criticality and the importance of the frontline field service workforce 
you know, increases as we go Mm -hmm. down this path, you know? Um, So, you know, I had a a conversation um, recently with uh, Karen Hamill from Schneider Electric and, you know, she brought up a really good point, which is, well, salespeople get to go on these president's club trips. Why don't field service people, right? Right. And I mean, some salespeople, I'm sure would be like, what? You know, but, (laughs) you know, it's a good point and it, might be an even more relevant point as this matures, right? Because to what degree are we relying on them to nurture and maintain these relationships that are what we are dependent upon for this recurring revenue, right? Right. So. No, you're exactly right. And, you know, the CFO is going to drive utilization, get in, get out, get the next job, right? So we know that getting training time is a premium. So if you only get nine days of training time, you're going to focus all on technical, right? So you can fix it faster, but that doesn't serve your brand. We mm-hmm. need customer service skills, professionalism. If we want to drive this incremental revenue and this, you know, land and expand ideas of the field service, we got to give them some skills to do that. And not every field service engineer is good at that, right? I mean, if they wanted to be in sales, they would have went into sales, but mm-hmm. uh, with the right training, some certifications, and like you say, incentives, Right. A president club. And, you know, you know, uh, we had a kind of a lead generation um, program at my last company and only 40 percent of the people did it. 60 percent like, no, I don't mm-hmm. want it. But those 40 percent, when you started to say, hey, I brought home an extra thousand dollars this week and you post that type of information. Boy, what does that drive uh, some adoption? Mm-hmm. And it, it Field services, the trusted advisor. I mean, I know we don't want to compromise that, but they have the context. They have the immediacy. They're on site. They know what the customer's doing. They know what good looks like because mm-hmm. they see bad. So they, it's a great opportunity to, to, for them to drive and, and keep adding to this revenue. And this more incremental revenue you get, it makes that fish smaller, right? Mm-hmm. And it makes uh, the, the switch a little, bo- little more palatable, right? Yeah. So that's critical. Sure. Yeah. All right. So um, this has been great, Kevin. Is there any other thoughts or comments or advice uh, that you would offer related to as a service, uh, the myths, the facts, the opportunity? Um, Any closing thoughts? Well, you know, so I like quotes. And in my blog, I had one quote from uh, a Roosevelt. And then I found another one the other day from an Roosevelt. So the first one was from Theodore. It says, anything, nothing worth doing comes easy, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't going to be easy. And the second for Eleanor Roosevelt was, it takes as much energy to wish as it does to plan. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can wish this away. It's not coming from me, but I think we've done a pr- fairly good job explaining that it is. Mm-hmm. So let's plan, right? Mm-hmm. Just plan for it. And, you know, maybe it's five, 10 years away, but we start planning now. All these muscles you build around all the other things that we, we talked about are necessary. It's going to help you with your customers today. Mm-hmm. You're going to start to see the reward there. So when, you know, everyone on the team decides, yes, we're going all in on as a service, you're ready. Mm-hmm. So start talking about it, start researching, reading about it. You know, hope they listen to our podcast. Great. Find more research on it. Come talk to, to TSI, whatever. You have to plan and plan now, I think, mm-hmm. right? And it, it's not going to be easy, but it's not all doom and gloom. And I, yeah. hopefully we try to dispel some of that today. Yeah. Yeah. Keep looking for the examples of how companies are working through these challenges and making progress and, and you know, use them uh, and their knowledge to to learn from and, and shape. 
Um, I know you just had a, an in-person event, um, the first in a while. Uh, when is the next? The next one is in May in Orlando. Okay. okay. So nice weather, mm-hmm. uh, Disney adjacent. So you can bring your family as you learn about things. And it's an unbelievable conference. Uh, you know, I've been on board TSI a year and a half now. My first three were virtual, which mm-hmm. great experience, but nothing like I it. Didn't, no, I didn't realize how much I missed, missed people. I'm yeah. generally an introvert, but it's like, wow. Yeah. The interactions and it was great. And, you know, it's like you said, field service, we need to work together and share some of these experiences so that we can, you know, have the right ammo to, to go to the top say, this is what we need to do, the things you want us to do. So mm-hmm. we're a community. Absolutely. Sure. Good. So everyone check out the, the May event uh, TSIA is doing and um, certainly check out Kevin on LinkedIn, um, on the blog. And Kevin, I really appreciate you coming and spending some time with me today. It was my pleasure. It was great. Great experience. You can learn more by visiting us at futureoffieldservice.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter at the Future of FS. The Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more at ifs.com. As always, thank you for listening.